if you've been a member of the church for, very long, for a very long period of time, at some point you will have found yourself saying, there has got to be more to it than that. That it, it appears that there's a ceiling over your understanding of the things of God. So when is there more and where does the more come from? Paul dealt with the same issue. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said, verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as, as I proclaim Christ to you in the testimony of God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But Paul said, I made a conscious decision that while I was with you, you Corinthians, I wouldn't say anything more or anything greater than the elementary, foundational, rudimentary uh, elements of our faith, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And you'll often hear leaders say, listen, I don't know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, listen to what else Paul had to say. He says, uh, Brothers, this is chapter 3 now, just, just a little bit over. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, that's verse 1 of chapter 3, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk and not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelings among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting as mere men? Now, you will note here that when Paul speaks of being a worldly or carnal Christian, he's not speaking about being immoral. He's not speaking about being adulterers and fornicators and the like. He's using the term worldly or carnal in the same way that he would use the word immature. So a believer is carnal when he is immature. Now, if you, if, if the, if you were to use the, the term carnal to mean adulterous, practice of fornication, and these sinful conducts, Paul would say, there's a way to deal with it. And that is you're to expel the immoral brother after you have warned him and encouraged him to change. So worldly or carnal here is a synonym for immaturity. Well, how do you get from immaturity to maturity? Because Paul said, whereas he intended to, he deliberately intended to speak to them no more than of Christ Jesus and Him crucified. He did say, however, that they, normally He did speak a message of wisdom, but it was a message of wisdom for the mature. Here it is in verse 6 of chapter 2, right sandwiched between the two readings. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak, a wisdom of, we, seek a, we speak of God's secret wisdom 
a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So he's saying, Paul is making this declaration, we have a message of wisdom that we speak normally to the mature. When I was with you, however, knowing of your immaturity, I chose to dumb myself down to speak no more to you than the elementary things of our faith, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he said, the reason I chose to do this is that you were and you still are carnal or immature. Now, what is the condition then in which believers remain immature, remain carnal, unskilled in the Word of God? Paul said, you know, this should not be because enough time had passed. Well, let me show you another reading and then we'll pull it together. This one is from uh, Hebrews chapter 6. And here he says, well, let's go back just a verse or two in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, for when for the time, I'm reading now from the King James, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. But when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the most with the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. And then he says this remarkable next verse, Therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of the laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Wow. This is amazing. This is how the NIV puts the same thing. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ, and go on unto maturity. So you see, the reason that some people who when for the time they ought to be teachers, still have need for, element, for, for foundational things, is because so many believers have never been taught the elementary things. Paul says, before you can go on to maturity, you must at least have grasped the elementary things. Now, the word elementary does not mean Simple or unnecessary. You go to elementary school when you're a child because you are to learn the sounds of letters. And then you are to learn how to blend the sounds of letters together to make words. 
While you're in elementary school, you're also exposed to numbers and a familiarity with basic concepts associated with numbers. Now, when you go on to graduate school, you no longer sound out how words should sound. I remember when my son was a very small boy, he would, uh, he would be studying his alphabet and he would put the word at for cat. And then you could see, he could see a C sound, an A sound, and a T sound. These were individual letters, but when they sounded together, and I remember his mother would say, when he had difficulty uh, getting the sounds right, his mother would say, sound it out, Nick, sound it out. And if he would sound all the words out, he would get the whole, all the letters out, he would get the whole word. So in elementary school, you're exposed, of course, to how these words, or these letters relate to form words, how numbers relate to form concepts of mathematics, and so on. Now, my son is, uh, is about to be in graduate school, and he, he doesn't have to sound his words out anymore. He knows. But if he had never gone to elementary school, he couldn't go on to maturity. I remember how sad it was some time ago when I was in a meeting and I asked this man to read a verse of scripture. And uh, he said things like, oh, I forgot my glasses. And we, we said, that's fine. We went on to the next person. Well, later on, he came up to me and he said, I have to repent to you. And I said, why? He said, well, I really didn't forget my glasses. I left them at home. Because, you see, I don't know how to read. And I said, well, that's, that's sad. He said, well, when I was a boy, we had hard times at home, and I had to learn to work early, and I didn't have time to go to elementary school. So that's how I didn't learn how to read. If you have never learned how to sound things out, if you've never been to elementary school, you cannot go on to certain aspects of your maturity. And the same thing is true about being a believer. Exactly the same thing is true about your walk with God. And frankly, one of the reasons why there are so many people who are carnal, which means in Scripture, who are immature, they're unskilled. They've been believers long enough to have been teachers to be able to instruct others. But because no one ever schooled them in the elementary things, the elements of the faith, the things that will always be in the foundations of your belief, they have not gone on to maturity. And, and brethren, the church is filled to overflowing with the carnal believer. Rarely do we meet someone who has any maturity in the things of God. And the evidence is the moment there is conflict and discord, people toss off all the religious pretenses and they go after each other with the same fervor and zeal as they would have, almost as if they didn't know Christ. Well, what is this all about? Paul lists six things six things that he calls 
the elementary doctrines. And here they are. The first is repentance from acts that lead to death. The second is faith toward God. The third is baptisms. The fourth is the resurrection of the laying on of hands. The fifth, the resurrection of the dead. And the sixth, eternal judgment. Fascinating, because these are the foundations, the elementary things that you ought to get. What are they again? They are repentance from acts that lead to death. They are faith toward God, baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Every believer should have a complete mastery of these six things. But the sad truth is, for most of you listening to me right now, this may have been the very first time that you've even heard that there were these six things. Is it any wonder that the church is filled with people who, when for the time they ought to be teachers, still have need for milk, that, that they're unskilled in the word, and as a result they are carnal. You may not have thought of yourself as a carnal Christian, because your way of thinking of carnal Christian might be Christians who live in adultery, Christians who practice fornication. Well, listen, that's not what the Bible talks about. Christians who live in adultery, practice fornication, have serious spiritual troubles and desperately need correction and instruction in righteousness. The majority of Christians are carnal simply because they have never been schooled in the elementary doctrines. So in this series of messages... It is my intention to walk you through what the scriptures have to say about the elementary doctrines. And I would like to introduce the first of them today, which is repentance from acts that lead to death. Now, just to define the terms, repentance simply means to turn from. To, 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 to change direction. Dead works is pretty much what it says in the scriptures. Uh, works that have activities that have no life in them. Well, why should we repent of dead works and what are dead works? The fact is that when you were born again, the scriptures make it very plain that there were works that God had prepared in advance for you to walk in. The book of Ephesians brings this out in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, the writer says that there were works that God prepared in advance for you to walk in. When, when you're saved, 
It is the intention of the Lord to bring you through many things and to reconcile you to God's purposes for you, which God knew before you were born. Dead works have to do with those things that you may do that are religious in nature, but have no purpose. It's not what God is inspiring you to do. Now, the enemy has a way of entrapping your soul in dead works. Every one of us knows this phenomenon of never feeling like you've done enough, never feeling like you are good enough. The enemy hopes that you will try to find God and walk with God through all that you can do or think you can do for God. Because he knows down that road you can never come to satisfaction on the point of when you've done enough and indeed when you've even done the will of God. So what the enemy does is he brings back your failings from the past to match up with your sense of failing in the present. And in this way, he keeps you always off-balanced so that you can never feel that you can rise above the entrapment that works and working your way to God will, will present to you. Moreover, when you feel that you cannot match up to God's expectations of you, the thoughts that used to plague you from before come back. Anyone who feels that his call or his duty is to please God by his works will come to the place where he knows that he's not doing what he should. But if you've tried all that you know to do, and that's not enough, and the alternative is that God is angry at you, how do you where do you go from there? And the answer is that many people turn back to the things that they found to be convenient for the distraction or the diversions that got them through another day or got them through another night. And when you go back to that, you, you open once again to the enemy the opportunity to beat you up. For example, if before you were a believer, you dealt with problems of inadequacy and, in, and, and unworthiness through sexual activity, and when you were an unbeliever, you were trapped in a cycle of pornography, what the enemy would do is he would remind you of that when you now again feel inadequate. And if you are open to it, he will reintroduce that spirit to you. Repentance from acts that lead to death is a way of cancelling your association with the former life, with the way you used to be, so that if the enemy in fact is resident within you, if an evil spirit has gained a foothold in you, by repenting from acts that lead to death, 
you have now the freedom to expel that spirit and to continue to pursue your place in God. If you, if you had learned this elementary doctrine, you wouldn't have to defend the fact that believers may have demonic spirits living in them that are controlling their emotions in certain areas. Frankly, the evangelical church doesn't deal with that. They say, well, the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in the same place where an evil spirit dwells, and because when you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, you as a believer cannot also have a demonic spirit. They're only partially right. But the part in which they're wrong is hugely important. It is true that the Holy Spirit lives in you when you're saved. And it is true that the Holy Spirit and an evil spirit will not dwell in the same place. Both things are true. But what is also true is that the demonic spirit does not live in you in the same place where the evil spirit lives. Because you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. So says 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at verse 20 and following. So the evil spirit does not live in your spirit. That's the residence of the Holy Spirit. By contrast, the evil spirit lives in the soul. When you discover that an evil spirit has taken control of your emotions, there really is only one way to deal with it, and that is to repent. To repent. When you repent, that spirit no longer has the right to dwell in you. So when you repent, you then expel that spirit and you retake that emotion. But if you never learned that God has a particular purpose for you and He lives in you by His Spirit to accomplish that purpose, if you never learn that, then your whole life will be consumed with trying to please God, trying to do enough, trying to do the right thing. And you will invariably come to the place again and again where you know you're not doing enough and where you know that you're not doing the right thing. And when that's so, your enemy will tempt you with the same things he tempted you with before you were a believer. And when he ties the present with your past, he will manage to convince you that you really have not changed and you are not a new creation. And when you give in to that temptation, he will simply come back where previously he used to be and was expelled. When the house is cleaned and swept, it must be occupied by the Holy Spirit or the spirits that left will come back and they'll bring more than, more than the ones that left to secure that territory with greater permanence. If you were taught from the beginning that you can and you should repent from acts that lead to death, you would have always known that not only can the Christian have a, a demon spirit living in their souls, but you would have always known that by repenting of that that control, that area of sin in your life, that you could get rid of the demon. And deliverance would not be somebody's special ministry. 
Deliverance would be what people do all the time to themselves and for one another. So that the body of Christ would walk in the freedom and the peace of hearing God and operating in the spirit. And you see, it's not a shame to have a demon living in you. It's only a shame, as someone said, to have a demon living in you that you won't get rid of. People want you to believe that it's such a huge religious thing. It's an elementary thing. It's a very basic thing. Now what we want to do is to pursue each of these six things with greater detail. We've begun with the first. Repentance from acts that lead to death. When you do, you cancel the right of your enemy to operate in your life. And when you do, you acknowledge that God has a particular purpose for you and you are here to live out that purpose. I'm Sam Solon. Join me as we continue to discuss the elementary doctrines of Christ.